And turn with me to John 17. I pointed ahead to this chapter since, uh, since chapter 1, really. As uh, I said then, those first 18 verses, the prologue, provide something of a, of a little mini overview of the whole book of John. The whole gospel according to John. And so over and over we've, we've come across uh, uh, points, doctrine, um, that show up again here in this prayer. And so it, uh, it is tonight we get to this prayer, which is something of a, a centerpiece of the book itself. So let's read along. God's word, inerrant, infallible. Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name the name which you have given me, that they may be, may be one, even as we. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, 
that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for partic- particularly for a chapter like this, where we, we see the heart of our Savior so beautifully displayed. We ask now in these few minutes for you to cause us to realize something of what he's prayed for us here, not only eternal life, though that would be That would be sufficient, but that we might realize the kind of unity, the kind of love that he has prayed for us, that we might indeed know that we are yours and you're ours as we leave this place tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, you know that here at Covenant, we have a, a commitment to what, what's called expository preaching and teaching. Uh, as such, that means we're, we're committed to preaching the word of God as God gave it. Um, that is, we preach it as it unfolds in books. Pastor Morris is presently preaching through uh, the text of Exodus, and he's not hopping to and fro in the book of Exodus, uh, but he's just proceeding seriatim, just the natural flow of the book, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter. The way we look at it is that God wrote it that way, he must think that's the proper order in which we're to take it. 
Not that we should read a little over here and a little over there and take a little of this and a little of that. But that we would just follow his lead on this. Hope you've also noticed that from time to time, more often than not, each of us will will reestablish the the larger context as we're moving through a book. I'm often reminding you of what what came before. What came before is important for what we're presently reading. Jesus does it right here as he's about to enter into this prayer. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. What things? It's not a reference to what's coming. It's a reference to what's just come before. Having spoken these things, then he stopped. He paused in the course of his life that was coming to an end, earthly speaking, and he offered this prayer. And so we often do that. I'm fond of saying, you know, we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. It's easy for us. And this chapter particularly would be easy just to hunker down in it and forget that it's, it's really based upon the whole book. Jesus didn't do something here out of context. Even though it's a prayer, it's not a teaching episode. It's not didactic in that sense. But it'd be easy for us to forget that, wait a minute, what's the context for his prayer? And so what I decided to do for tonight is let's just stop and let's, let's think about this. You know, what's, what's coming in this prayer? And we can learn from it an awful lot. One of the things we're going to learn is that Jesus is simply praying what he's been teaching them. In other words, he's praying his word. You've heard me say before that people often will ask me, you know, tell me about Covenant Presbyterian Church. They may ask me to compare it to some other church in Oak Ridge or Knoxville, and I do not do that. I simply say, well, let me just tell you about Covenant. It's our commitment, it's our desire when we gather together in worship to read God's word, preach God's word, sing God's word, pray God's word, and leave the building to do God's word. That's very simple, but I've never had anybody say, well, gee, explain that. I don't, I don't understand. Lost or saved, no one's ever come back to me with, well, I, I, that's, I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, it's pretty simple. And so we're committed to that. And Jesus was committed to that. And he was committed to praying that way as well. So what I want to do here for a few minutes is just notice what Jesus is praying. What is he praying? He's praying We would say he's praying God's word, but we could just as easily say here in chapter 17, Jesus is is praying his words. 
He's just simply going back to things that he's been teaching, things that he's been doing, and that's his prayer. That's what he's offering. So let's look at that. And in so doing, what we'll see is that hey, that's, that's how we should pray too. Sometimes, you know, we talk about, we talk about, okay, what do you, how, how, how do you deal with troubles in your life? How do you deal with trials? How do you deal with sin in your life? Well, you know, the common answer given is, well, I read my Bible and I pray. And sometimes we divorce those two things. We read our Bibles and then we pray. And what we pray may not be consistent with what we read. And then we wonder, was that, you know, did did God hear that? And if you're like I am, sometimes you're in the middle of a prayer and you think, man, this sounds like a laundry list of wants or a laundry list of needs. And they may not at all reflect God's wants and needs. But they reflect more of my fallen wants and needs. I want to ask you to raise your hand and embarrass yourself because everybody in here who prays would raise their hands. Because that's a, that's a human trap that we fall into. But interestingly, the Lord doesn't. You say, yeah, but he was perfect. Yeah, but we're to have the mind of Christ. So this prayer is not, not the model prayer in the sense that teach us how to pray, Lord. We get that in Matthew and in Luke. But... There's a sense in which, even though it's Christ's prayer, it is a model for us, isn't it? It's, it's a wonderful example for us. So let's learn from it. So Jesus prays his word. And he begins by rehearsing doctrine that he's already taught them. And so he begins and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, one of the things we'll look at next week is seeing that this idea of glorify your son is exactly what Jesus has been saying all the way through. And that is, I came from the father, he sent me, and I'm going back to the father to be with the father. I left the glory of heaven. I'm going to return. I left the throne. I'm returning to the throne. So even that. As he prays in the beginning, even then, verse two says, as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. You gave him authority over all flesh. Well, that's reflected all through the book of John. Right. He could hush the mouths of people. He could, he could still the ocean. He could raise the dead. 
He could, he could make lame people walk. He had authority to do all that. I'll throw in here, he also had, all, he had the power to do that too. I mean, we could use human examples here of people who've had the authority to do certain things, but they didn't, in the end, possess the power to pull it off. They had the authority to say, do this. But when people didn't obey them, they didn't have the power to pull it off. Jesus did. The authority and the power of Jesus are never uncoupled. They're always together. So, even as you gave him... Jesus praying, you being the father gave him, the son, authority over all flesh so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we've just got John three sixteen worked back in to the prayer, right? But notice something else that he's also bringing in, that he's picked up, he's brought in before, that to all whom you have given him. First of all, notice the all-inclusiveness. He has authority over all flesh. And that goes back to John 1, 3, where he's the one who created everything. As the creator of all things and all people, he has authority over them. But now we move from the all-inclusive to the particular. Do you notice that? That to all whom you have given him. That's qualified, isn't it? Everyone whom you've given him. And that goes back to chapter 6. Let's just refresh our memories on this as Jesus is trying to do in this prayer. Just take one example. Verse 37 of chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. All the Father gives me. And we read on down. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. All that he has given me. There's the, there's the, there's the delineation. There's the particularity. Those he's given me, they'll come to me. And I won't lose any of them. And he continues. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, this idea that he has been teaching all the way through. The Father sent me. I didn't come on my own. I came because he sent me. And here he is. It's right here in the prayer. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. This is my beloved son, the father said, in whom I am well pleased. 
He's well pleased, not only because he's his son, but because his son is doing everything that he sent him to do. He's accomplishing the work that the father gave him to do. So again, Jesus is just drawing from what he's been teaching all the way through. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There it is. The glory which I had with you before the world. He's the eternal one. He's the eternal Son of God. He's that Lord that Moses encountered on Sinai that caused him to glow. It's amazing, isn't it? I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Again, here he's being particular to the disciples. Before, in verse 2, he's talking about those from eternity that were set apart. From before the foundation of the world. Jesus is going to bring that up again in a moment as well. But here he's talking about now in time and space. Some of those people that you determined you gave me here in time and space. I've manifest your name to them. They were yours. See they were the fathers to give to the son. They weren't just random people walking around and God said, oh, you know what? I think I can do something with these guys. I think maybe I can make something of them. Particularly if I, if I stick them with my son for three years. No, it's because they were his to give. So he gave them. Peter, James, John, and the rest. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they kept your word. Now they've come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. Again, we're back to something Jesus has said over and over, right? I don't speak on my own initiative. I only say those things which the Father has given me to say. Now they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I've given to them. They received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's a sobering verse, isn't it? This is back to John chapter 10. You remember John 10, the great shepherd? And Jesus says, who is it that hears the shepherd's voice? Who is it that hears my voice and they know my voice and they respond to my voice? It's the definite article, the sheep. We could back up. We could talk about the Jews, right? The Jewish leaders. Jesus says, no, Abraham's not your father. Had Abraham been your father, you would know who I am and you would hear my voice and you would believe what I say, just like Abraham did, because before Abraham was, I am. 
And they didn't want to hear that. And so they, that from that point, wanted to kill him because he claimed to be God, the great I am. We heard of from Exodus chapter 3 just in the past couple of weeks. So when Jesus says that these are yours, the ones that you gave me, they listened to me, they heard me, they recognized my voice. He was referring back to that wonderful chapter, the great shepherd. I'm no longer in the world. Well, he's just said that back in chapters 14 through 16. And he's right there with them. And yet he's telling them that it's, it's finished. We're right here on the precipice of this great event where I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to suffer and bleed and die. The Holy Spirit has to come. They themselves are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. How is he going to keep them? Well, because the Spirit's going to come and he's going to be the helper. He's going to be the keeper. He's going to be the teacher. He's going to be the guide. And Jesus is already preparing them for this. And he's already speaking as if it were, were the case. I'm not any longer in the world. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Which name? The name you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. How were they supposed to pray? They were supposed to pray in his name. So Jesus is, is weaving this into the prayer. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, save for the son of perdition. And what was that about? Was Jesus not able to keep him? Was it something about Judas that he couldn't manage? No. He tells us what. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. Didn't I choose you, the twelve? And one of you is the devil. Now remember, in this prayer, we've already moved past Jesus Losing him. Remember earlier? We had the upper room discourse wedged in. And Jesus said to Judas, whatever you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And he left. So from that point forward, we're not going to know anything about Judas being in this. He's not hearing this prayer. He's gone. He's gone to do the dirty deed. He's gone to sell out Jesus. As the scriptures said. So Jesus is bringing that in to the passage. We go on. But now I come to you. These things I speak in the world. So that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Well, that's a reference back isn't it? To what we just looked at in the, in the recent days. As we saw Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit and he said, 
Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And then he goes on to to teach them more. And he says, you you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, there's the name again, he will give it to you. And till now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. That's chapter 16. And now in the prayer, he's praying. I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Can you imagine the disciples? Here they are. And from everything that we can tell based on the way John postures this here, Certainly, it's reasonable to think that the disciples are hearing this prayer. Notice in chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine. Wouldn't you love well, I mean, I started to say, wouldn't you have loved to have been there with the disciples and heard the prayer? Well, we just have. So I guess that's nonsense for me to say that. But to have heard, heard that's a good Welsh way of saying it. If you've ever been around the Holst brothers or the Holst father, Richard Holst being the father and Matt and... Uh, drawing a blank on his brother. But Matt Holst is the pastor of Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh. And uh, if you've ever heard them, they heard, just like my Appalachian grandfather and grandmother said it, they heard him coming. Well, if you've ever, if you ever, wouldn't you have loved to have heard his inflection as he was praying this prayer? Well, we need to move on for time. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Well, he's told them this, hasn't he? If you love me, the world's going to hate you. They're going to hate you. Why? Because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We'll get to this soon, but isn't that a marvelous passage That speaks eschatologically, and I mean that by addressing some of the popular eschatology that we've encountered over the last 150 or so years. Jesus is praying a prayer that one one particular eschatological system denies. That in fact, we should pray and look forward to him taking the church out of the world for a period of time. And Jesus prays just the opposite. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Jesus wants us here. He doesn't want us out. 
He wants us here because we're the leaven. We're the hope of the world, preaching the gospel. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Again, back to I came into this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How often have I pointed out over this course of this sermon series in John how vital the word is. Listening to the word. Hanging on every word of Jesus. That's where our our sanctification comes from. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Isn't that wonderful? You see a progression here. Jesus begins praying for himself. He then prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all those that will hear the words of the disciples to the end of the age. And that includes us. He's praying for us from this verse forward. I didn't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He's praying for the unity of the church, the unity of the body. And we should pray the same way. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we're one. The Father and I are one, John 10, 30. There, he's bringing that back in. I could go in, I, 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 in fact, in the sermon notes I do go on and on, but we don't have time to go on and on tonight. But I've shown you enough, haven't I? Jesus is just as the prologue is a little mini John. Now the sermon is a, is, a, is a mini John to this point, but also to the future, isn't it? I'm going away and I want you to keep them, keep them unified. Not just those who are with me now, but those who are going to come after me, keep them unified. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we're one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. The reason, the reason we are what we are as a church is not just for us. As wonderful as that is, the communion of saints is a wonderful thing. But that's not the only purpose, is it, for us, for our benefit. Did you see that? I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that, there's the purpose clause, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. The reason unity is important is so that we can go out with a unified voice and a unified face and tell the world that Jesus saves. And then they'll believe it. But when we go out into this world and they have heard, oh, we hear that those folks up there at Covenant are snooty. Those people up there at Covenant, they're backbiters. Those people up there at Covenant, they talk about one another. Those people up there at Covenant, you know, they've been through three or four or five church splits. I'm just saying, if that's the case, 
they're not going to have an ear to hear because we have no credibility. No street cred. Right? Because, well, years ago, I had the pleasure when I was pastoring the first little church that I pastored out in the country in West Tennessee. From time to time, there'd be this couple that would come and visit. They had friends in our church. He was an executive with Federal Express. And so, of course, he'd be back to Memphis on a regular basis because that's the international hub of Federal Express. And he would come out on Lord's Day and worship with us. And we were talking about he was he was actually the the Fed Express guru for Europe, and he was located in Portugal, in Madrid. And one day we were talking about living as a Christian in Madrid. No, that's Spain. Portugal, wherever in Portugal he was. All of a sudden my brain said, whoa, Nick, get your geography right. And so I said, what's the toughest thing about living in Portugal, as a Christian, he said, America. I said, huh? He said, here's what happens when on a routine day, I get the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, ask someone to go to church with me, try to talk to someone about the faith. They say, look, when the gospel changes your country, tell us about it. But until then... Stay out of our lives because you apparently have nothing to offer with this gospel. That's what Jesus was saying here. Unless the church. And he wasn't just talking. Those people weren't just talking about America per se in general, but about the church in America. And all that goes on, all that's seen on television, all that's heard on radio. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Isn't this wonderful? Last night, Carol and I were watching the conclusion of a, of a, of a British mystery starring Martin Clunes. Some of you may know that name. He was Doc Martin in the Doc Martin series uh, on PBS. And this is a series that he, he did where he is a... Uh, a, uh, a, a, a detective in the New Scotland Yards, and uh, and he was uh, had become head over this investigation of a of a of a more than uh, more than ten year case, ongoing case of many rapes of elderly women and burglaries, etc. Is based on true stories in the UK. And there's this point where he finally decides that we're not ever going to catch this fellow unless we can get enough people on the ground to where we can actually see him. The evidence, he's not in the system. We have his DNA. We'll never catch him if we don't see him. So he's going to the special task force to, to, to plead for a vast number of men and women to be on the ground surveillance in a, in a designated area where he seems to be fond of hitting these homes 
in the character of, of Martin Clunes, Colin Sutton goes into the room on short notice. He's given, a, given an opportunity to come in to plead his case for this vast number of men and women in an already shortened staff of Scotland Yard. And he's got his, he didn't have time to put together a PowerPoint or anything, and he's just got a bunch of handwritten notes, and he starts reading them. And you can tell he's losing his audience. They're looking at each other like, is this it? This the best he's got? And then he finally, he just laid down his notes, and he said, here's, here's the short. In over 10 years... We know of at least 17 elderly women who have been raped, multiple more homes burglarized by the same man with the same M.O., people assaulted, and he's getting away with it in our neighborhoods, and he will continue getting away with it unless we do something about it. And the lady who is the chief spokesman for this task Force, whether he'd get the numbers or not, she stopped him and said, DSI Sutton, you're pushing on an open door. He had almost closed the door with his, his, his notes. And when he spoke from his heart, suddenly they were all back in focus and they'd already studied the case. They knew why he was there. They were ready to say yes if he had just walked in and said, I need some people. They just said yes. He almost closed the door, and now you're pushing on an open door. In other words, the answer is yes. So he got them, and on the 17th day of the surveillance stakeout, they apprehended him. And it turned out to be over 23 assaults and rapes and burglaries in 10 years. And they were all of elderly people. Some had died from the trauma, from the injuries. You say, what's that got to do with this? Well, Jesus is just speaking honestly. There's no notes here. He's pushing on an open door when he speaks to the Father. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is pushing on an open door here, y'all. This is the Father who sent him. This is the Father who loves him. And he's praying for us to enjoy his glory the glory he enjoyed before the foundation of the world and the glory he is about to return to and enjoy for eternity. And he's praying for us to be with him. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen, y'all. Do you think the father heard the prayer of the son? Nod your heads. Do you think the father is answering the prayers of the son? Nod your heads. 
Jesus prayed a perfect prayer in perfect obedience to God's perfect word. And every prayer request will be answered. And one of those is for us to be with him where he is. That's the confidence you can leave here tonight. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you. If you have trusted him, then you have the confidence to know that what he began, he will complete. And there's nothing you or I can do to thwart that. Do you believe that? Your happiness depends upon it. And your hope depends upon it. Father, thank you for your word. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen.